Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We did make it to the end of another week. That might be a good martini all in itself, but uh, your stool is ready. We're glad you're here, and uh, we actually do have a good martini to go along with it. So an official good martini, a bad, and a crazy. And Jim, let's start with the good. And this is a qualified good, but it's one we've seen before, and so far, for the most part, it's worked out, and that's that Joe Manchin is tapping the brakes on a piece of Democratic legislation that we would really love to see die. I think that's a little too optimistic that he and Kirsten Cinema might actually stop it from happening, but this $3.5 trillion package may not happen nearly as soon as Democrats want it. Cinema uh, has said she's not spending $3.5 trillion, and now Manchin is saying the same thing. Uh, he uh, put this uh, in an op-ed just the other day, and he says an overheating economy has imposed a costly inflation tax on every middle and working class American at $28.7 trillion, and growing the nation's debt has reached record levels. Over the past 18 months, we've spent more than $5 trillion responding to the coronavirus pandemic. Now Democratic congressional leaders propose to pass the largest single spending bill in history with no regard to rising inflation, crippling debt, or the inevitability of future crises. Ignoring the fiscal consequences of our policy choices will create a disastrous future for the next generation of Americans. He says Congress should hit a strategic pause on the budget reconciliation legislation. He also says more than 10.1 million jobs remain open. Our economy, as the Biden administration has correctly pointed out, has reached record levels of quarterly growth. The positive economic reality makes clear that the purpose of the proposed $3.5 trillion in new spending isn't to solve urgent problems, but to re-envision America's social policies, which is uh, precisely right. He does use a little bit of weasel words here, Jim, when he says that he won't support a $3.5 trillion bill or anything near that level of additional spending without greater clarity about why Congress chooses to ignore the serious effects inflation and debt have on existing government programs. So in the end, as Alapundit over at Hot Air suggests, he's probably just going to negotiate down the price tag rather than actually stop this thing from happening, which would be our uh, objective here. But uh, what do you think he and Cinema can actually accomplish here, if anything? Well, Greg, when, when news of this op-ed in the Wall Street Journal broke mid to late yesterday afternoon, and it was causing this big stir on Twitter. I went back and I checked and it was the, the big White House ceremony where they announced they had a bipartisan infrastructure deal. Uh, it was back on June 24th, <laughs> it was a long time ago. And we, you know, kind of based on that, you might've thought, oh, okay, well, you know, the dominoes are falling in place. They're gonna have the bipartisan bill and then the Democrats are gonna use reconciliation to ram through all the stuff they couldn't get in the bipartisan infrastructure bill. And this is how, you know, the Republicans are going to get rolled. We're going to have this giant spending. And here it is, September 3rd, and it hasn't happened. And it's still pretty, you know, the, the process of getting this done is not looking any simpler for the Democrats. Now, again, I, I think the interpretation is right, that uh, Manchin is saying, I don't want to do 3.5 trillion, but he's open to some other smaller number. But uh, I, I think as you observed sharply, the, the comments about inflation, inflation is not going to go away in a month. I, I just don't think that I think to get people not worried about inflation, you would need several months of good numbers. I, I think people are freaked out about it sufficiently where they're just not going to, you know, one month of good numbers is not going to make this disappear. 
uh, as a concern. I mean, Americans are noticing this. I, I, you, you notice people saying, God, you hear about what you're paying for groceries and stuff like that. People who are Democrats are noticing this phenomenon. And whether or not they blame Biden and all that kind of stuff, none of that makes them, you know, they, they may still support the spending bill, but I think it makes Manchin's argument stronger. They, the Democrats can't say, oh, come on, Manchin, nobody's really worried about this anymore. Um, so I think the number is going to be coming down. And I, I've, I've heard, you know, through the, uh, the grapevine, some people expecting Democrats, some Democratic consultants, I guess, are basically saying they think that 3.5 number is going to come down no bigger than 2.7 trillion. But no bigger, 2.7 trillion, <laughs> small amount. Yeah. In other words, I like, consider how this all started with 6.5 trillion or stuff like that. The, the momentum is still on the side of shrinking it, which is marginally good news for those of us who are fiscal conservatives. And I think it's a good, interesting. And the other thing also is that we keep, I guess, if you read Democratic blogs and, and they just kind of figure at some point Manchin and Cinema are going to surrender. That at some point, if they just have enough pressure, they just do enough rallies, enough protests or something like that, that at some point they're going to change their minds. And clearly that's not happening. And this isn't really one of our martinis, but I just want to observe this number of polls coming out showing Biden's numbers cratering in the aftermath of Afghanistan. You know, from you know, he started out nice and high as all new president, almost all new presidents do, it was around 50-50 or 50% of job approval a couple months ago. And now it's in the mid-40s, and in some cases, 43%, 44%. That's not going to intimidate Joe Manchin. That's not going to intimidate Kirsten Cinema. So my guess is this is, you know, uh, the number is going to come down maybe dramatically. And that's, you know, pretty good considering the state of affairs for uh, fiscal conservatives. You know, Jim, it's amazing to watch the calm, rational approach uh, from the left on Twitter to things they don't like, like the Texas law not being stopped by the Supreme Court, uh, you know, that the, the, the pro-lifers are worse than the Taliban, which we talked about yesterday and that sort of thing. And then there was, I've never even heard of this organization, but a lot of people were retweeting it yesterday. The Sunshine Foundation responding to Manchin's editorial, abolish the Senate. Yeah, you know. <laughs> As somebody observed, when you sound like a Star Wars villain, it's generally a sign you've lost the argument. Uh, just amazing. Back to Manchin for a second. You know, I'm grateful for this. But if you look at Manchin so far, he's voted for both COVID relief and the infrastructure bill. And I believe uh, Manchin said he was very reluctant to vote for the COVID relief bill since it was a reconciliation uh, procedure, unless there was a Republican who voted for it, which there wasn't. And he still voted for it. So uh, something tells me that uh, Joe Manchin will end up being a yes on this. The left may still hate him for having to hack out a few uh, things in there. But uh, in the end, a lot of terrible things are going to happen and he's going to vote for it. Again, that's the good martinis. <laughs> it's it's been a really been a rebuilding month for good martinis. So anytime we get something a little bit good, we feel you. Know, got to celebrate it. Got to salute it. Well, another thing we can celebrate, Jim, is the fact that we've got a brand new sponsor on the three martini lunch. And as we look at Democrats trying to, you know, jack up taxes and jack up federal spending through this ridiculously priced legislation, it makes us shudder. But if you're a small business owner, uh, a startup, freelancer, entrepreneur. Do you know the number one way to avoid unfair bank fees? Because that grinds your gears too. You're paying stuff you shouldn't have to, and it just uh, hurts your bottom line. You could close your account, or you could open a new Novo free business banking account. Novo is the number one business banking app because it's built from the ground up to be powerfully simple and free business banking that Money Magazine called the best business checking account of 2021. And the year's not even over. They've already won that award. <laughs> With Novo, there are no minimum balances, no transaction limits, and no hidden fees. 
You can sign up for free in less than 10 minutes at banknovo.com slash martini. Then they'll mail you a Novo debit card and you get free ATM use. Man, wouldn't that be handy? Every time you get that, you know, hit those fees of, you know, two bucks, three bucks, sometimes even 350. Novo makes banking easy and secure. And you can manage your account in Novo's customizable web, Android, or iOS apps with built-in profit-first accounting and invoicing. Plus, you can tag each transaction and upload the receipts. And look, uh, it gives you a lot more than that, too. It seamlessly integrates with most leading business tools and services like Stripe or Shopify, QuickBooks, and more for free. Plus, Novo offers more than $5,000 in perks and discounts just for signing up. So get your free business banking account in just 10 minutes at banknovo.com slash martini. Go to bank novo.com slash martini to sign up for free right now and get a free copy of Novo's Small Business Starter Guide. Banknovo.com slash martini. Glad to have him on board. All right, Jim, if you are a business, chances are you're looking to hire, but for some reason, Jim, we're not seeing a lot of new hires, at least in the month of August. Those numbers from the Labor Department out on Friday. And despite so many employers begging for people to come work, 235,000 positions created in the month of August, but the expectation was 720,000 new hires. So nearly off by 500,000 jobs in the wrong direction. The unemployment rate dropped to 5.2% from 5.4%, which was in line with estimates. Uh, The labor participation rate is at 61.7%, which is still crushingly low. So Jim, uh, looking at CNBC and some of these other places, they're chalking it up mainly to the Delta variant, and that's uh, disrupting the economic comeback here. You still got inflation. You still got unemployment benefits that might be more attractive than actually uh, going to work every day. So how do we interpret this? Well, one of the things somebody pointed out is the, num- the, the industries that involved a lot of face-to-face interpersonal interactions, those were the ones that saw the most disappointing numbers. Um, they also point out the number of diners who've been seated at restaurants is down 9% in the week that ended September 2nd compared to the same week in 2019. So the number of people eating out is gradually slowing, and that's not necessarily good. Uh, the, one of the things that makes this really, um, well, one, you know, what's surprising and also I think you know, kind of strikes out uh, as, as maybe a bigger headache for the administration than otherwise would be is that, you know, um, the administration clearly was expecting some better news from this. I think it's safe to say the, the uh, Wednesday this week, the, the Hill reported, quote, the White House is trying to move past the chaotic and deadly U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan by turning its attention to domestic priorities like President Biden's economic agenda. President Biden's allies think the public's attention could shift back to domestic issues as soon as the end of the week when the August jobs numbers from the Labor Department will offer a more fulsome picture of how the economic recovery has held up amid the surge of the Delta variant. Well, these were not, (laughs) don't worry about Afghanistan. We'll have good job numbers on Friday to distract everyone. Well, didn't really shake out that way. These are not, you know, um, yeah, the the rate going, the unemployment rate itself going down is good, but missing is is pretty bad. Uh, They revised up some previous months. I guess that's, you know, a, a good sign, but it's safe to say like, I think most Americans expected to be in a post-pandemic status and in a post-pandemic economy. And there was so much pent-up demand over the course of 2020. People really thought that 2021, this is the, you know, the economy would be uh, 
revving like the engine of a Ferrari Testarossa, whatever metaphor you want to use right there, just a really terrific economy. And we did have a bunch of months of, of nice, really solid job growth. Um, I think it was really bad news for the administration that uh, I guess it was June's numbers were really good. And then the 4th of July weekend came. This one, maybe you get a similarly, you know, less attention because we're heading into Labor Day weekend. But uh, all in all, it's not really where the country wanted to be. It's kind of an ominous rattle in the engine, you could say. And I think, again, kind of tying back to our previous martini, I think it makes the argument for more spending tougher. I, I, the irony is that there's kind of this you know, self-fulfilling prophecy that, you know, if the economy is doing well, then why do you need $3.5 trillion in new spending over the next couple of years? If the economy is doing badly, well, we need this kind of, you know, the, 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 this new spending, you know, I, I, the idea is that this is the worse things get, the more Biden will be able to say, oh, we, we need this spending. We can't afford not to spend this money, even though that's not the case at all. So it, it is bad for the country. I think it's an indicator that we really can't enjoy the full fruits of a thriving economy until the pandemic is over. And, uh, you know, I, I also, as we see these, you know, lousy jobs, uh, lousy approval rating numbers for President Biden, I kind of wonder how much of this reflects uh, kind of COVID hangover, a sense of people thinking, hey, it's, it's September. I'm glad the schools are open, but in a bunch of states, they're closing down and people just thought we'd be done with this by now. I, I, you know, Biden was running around the country in November saying, I'm not going to shut down the country. I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm going to shut down the virus. Well, you, you've been on the job for nine months now, pal. Um, sure, a big part of this is the the unvaccinated and such. But I think, you know, the the sense of the Delta pandemic, I don't want to say panic, but, you know, the, the heightened levels of concern and the complications to life. I was supposed to be at the NRA convention by now. Um, you know, just all the different ways that it has, you know, travel restrictions uh, overseas, you know, all the different ways in which our lives are not quite back to normal is hang is, is to kind of this psychological weight on us. And uh, it's been interesting to watch some discussion amongst, you know, pro-Biden liberal uh, folks who are saying, well, the problem is the media is hyping how bad the pandemic is. You know, that's when you see liberals complaining that the media is being, you know, <laughs> The media is overhyping the pandemic from liberals. That's kind of an interesting indication of how, you know, tied into a pretzel they've gotten. No, that's entirely correct. And you're so right about Biden. If he addresses this report at all, he's totally going to say that uh, we have to now do the three and a half trillion dollars. It's it's exactly right. If, if it's if it's good news, my plans are working. And so we just got to do more of it. And if they're not working, well, then we really need to do my plans because they haven't been put in place yet. So uh, he's going to try to win either way. But uh, hopefully cinema and mansion uh, hold up at least for a while here. All right. Uh, as we uh, head into Labor Day weekend, and it turns out we don't have enough people laboring, it seems, uh, at least you can rest up for the job search or, or when you go back to work, uh, hopefully on Tuesday. And to rest up, you need great products from my pillow. Could be the slippers, could be the sheets, could be the towels, could be the pillows themselves. Uh, wearing the slippers right now. Love them. So comfortable walking around inside or outside. And uh, love the sheets as well. And the best news is they're both on sale. For a limited time, you can receive 50% off any Giza Dream Sheets with a price as low as $49.99. And you can receive 50% off my slippers. Now, when it comes to the Giza Dream Sheets, imagine sliding into the most comfortable sheets you will ever own guaranteed. They're made from the world's best cotton, grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. Its long staple cotton makes it ultra soft and breathable. These sheets are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they have a 60 money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. 
before you slip into those Giza dream sheets, slip out of your slippers, which took two years to develop. They're designed to wear indoors, outdoors, all day long. They have MyPillow foam and impact gel to prevent fatigue, and they are made with quality leather suede. And now for a limited time, you can save 50% on all Giza Dream Sheets and My Slippers. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout. Or call 800-874-0104. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, the MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Do not miss this sale of the year. That's MyPillow.com. Promo code Martini or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, Jim, we've talked a lot about COVID policy here in the United States. What's too much? Uh, vaccine passports. Uh, what's appropriate? But uh, for those who haven't noticed what's going on down under, things are getting crazy. I mean, uh, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, for example... Jacinda Ardern locked down the country over one COVID case. The entire country. She went back to like, you know, DEFCON, whatever. Everybody had to stay in their house over one case. Uh, And Australia has been pretty much uh, the same. People are actually, you know, getting tackled by police if they're outside for not a quote unquote good reason. Uh, And now uh, there's even more concern there about freedom. And it's so much that even the Atlantic is talking about it. And an article by Connor Friedersdorf. Uh, Jim, there's a lot of different things here that uh, are certainly alarming. But uh, here's perhaps the worst part. The government of South Australia, one of the country's six states, developed and is now testing an app as Orwellian as any in the free world to enforce its quarantine rules. People in South Australia will be forced to download an app that combines facial recognition and geolocation. The state will text them at random times, and thereafter they will have 15 minutes to take a picture of their face in the location where they are supposed to be. Should they fail, the local police department will be sent to follow up in person. Quote, we don't tell them how often or when on a random basis they have to reply within 15 minutes. Premier Stephen Marshall explained, I think every South Australian should feel pretty proud that we are the national pilot for the home-based quarantine app. Jim, I don't even know what words to put into this, but Australia, you know, is supposed to be kind of this, you know, rebel, kind of free-spirited place. They've got a few hundred COVID cases, and they're treating it like a prison camp down there. It's just really absurd. I was going to say, uh, Greg, wouldn't this used to be a prison colony? Were they all supposed to be outlaws and rebels and folks who didn't like playing by the rules? I mean, look, I'm not an expert on Australia, but uh, I saw Crocodile Dundee in the sequel. <laughs> they walk around with giant knives. They're, they're not afraid of it. There are times where criticisms of public health officials and those who want to enact restrictions on the public there are times they can be hyperbolic. There are times they can be over the top. There are times, I don't think that Anthony Fauci is a closet fascist. And I don't think that Rochelle Walensky, as much as I don't like her or disagree with her or have frustrations with her, I don't think she's secretly plotting to round people up and put them in camps or, or anything like that. But then you see the stuff in Australia and you're like, whoa, okay, clearly some people are. Some people really do yearn to have some sort of grand neo-authoritarian uh, impact on free societies and that this is their chance. 
this is their chance to show people who's boss. And, you know, the other thing is like the degree to which they have social distancing rules in uh, Australia. And so watching cops run down and tackle the people who are violating social distancing. We need to protect you from getting close to other people. So we're going to tackle you and get on top of you. Now, the cops are wearing masks, but, you know, while wrestling with the guy on the ground, there's always a chance the mask will come off. And I guess at that point, Greg, do the other cops have to tackle the other cops for taking his mask off? <laughs> it is it is disturbing. It is unnerving. It is creepy and Orwellian and all of these adjectives that, um, and it, you know, I, I, one of the things, you know, we've discussed uh, Afghanistan a lot on this podcast the last couple of weeks. And today's morning jolt was all about how Americans are now just stopped paying attention. Uh, the national news media has stopped covering it. It's no longer, you know, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fade from the American consciousness really fast. We don't pay a lot of attention to Australia in general. So not only as, as Australia has gone further and further and more and more extreme in its restrictions upon uh, liberties, all in the name of public health and all in the name of stopping the virus. This is the sort of thing which feels like it should have popped up on our radar screen much earlier, but we don't pay attention to foreign affairs in this country. We don't pay attention to what's going on beyond our shores. And the possibility that what, you know, like Australia is not North Korea. Australia, uh, Australia is not China. Australia is a longtime U.S. ally, a Western democracy. Um, you know, a, a, one, someone who we were, you know, traditionally very close to, one of the five eyes, uh, one of the ones that we trusted the most in terms of intelligence sharing and all that kind of stuff. And they're not acting like a Western democracy at all anymore. It's like all of a sudden there's been this creepy takeover uh, by someone, by these kind of public health authority authoritarians. So it's, something that definitely deserves a lot more attention. It's something that I think America's left wing should be grappling with about how easily these seemingly good intentions can turn into something uh, brutal and dictatorial and uh, creepy big brother in terms of you take pictures of your face and show you are where you're supposed to be. Just really an utterly horrifying situation down there. And one that I would like to see you know, in a better world, this would be the sort of thing an American administration would uh speak out about. But Greg, we can't even say that, you know, China, that, that a lab leak might be the issue of this. If we're not even going to do that. The idea that we'd actually, you know, tell an Australian government that they've, they're going a little too far. But hey, you know, at least we still have a human rights focused po foreign policy as Biden assured us this week. <laughs> I'm a little less uh, charitable towards Anthony Fauci than you are. He had a comment the other day about, uh, I know we love our freedoms, but uh, so that's always uh, makes you cringe. He has not suggested anything close to this, but uh, uh, I, I think ever since the whole you can protest this, uh, meaning the George Floyd situation, but you can't protest lockdowns and, you know, the, you know uh, politics based uh, approval for different things. I think he pretty much lost a lot of credibility there. But here's the thing. Uh, is somebody going to make a fortune off of the flip phone market returning or will people just get rid of smartphones? Well, you have to have a smartphone. Uh, there's got to be ways around this, right? You know, I, I'm remembering, I believe, like portions of the Matrix were filmed down in Australia. <laughs> it was all about these, you know, sinister agents who are monitoring everything you do and all that stuff. So, you know, funny, you know, every, everything turns out to be kind of prophetic in one form or another. Yeah, I mean, at that point, it's like, oh, leave your phone at home. <laughs> I mean, do you need it? Between this, you know, and, and the Chinese government basically saying you can only have three hours of... Uh, uh, video game time per week. By the way, you know, listens to this podcast know that I think the Chinese Communist Party is probably like the single most dangerous force on earth. But um, Greg, I don't know about you as a parent, maybe, maybe you've been a little rough on them. Maybe they got some good, good ideas there. You know, anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, this idea, like, you know, but by the way, I actually kind of like, the, as much as we're joking, you do kind of wonder if China developing its utterly Orwellian social credit system and all that kind of stuff, 
like the fact that there wasn't this unified across the U.S. political spectrum, you know, how dare you do this, China? This is something, you know, this is uh, something out of Hitler and Stalin. This is, you know, the antithesis of human freedom. The fact that there wasn't helped enable this mentality of, ah, the role of the government is to set up these incentives and these punishments and this idea that if you do the things the government wants you to do, well, then you, what do they say in one of the public service announcements, Greg, that you're rewarded with additional freedoms, right? <laughs> Not granted to you by a constitution or by God or anything like that. No, no, no. The government has chosen to give you this, but they can take it away anytime they like, you know, this entire mentality of, you know, that the, the government is our parent and we are children. And if we are obedient, we will get a piece of candy or some other piece of reward. But if we dare disobey, then we will get punished, sent to our room. It's a, well, almost quite literally sent to our room and not allowed to come out. Australians, you're grounded. <laughs> That's exactly right. I saw another story that they're actually doing that. They're making you uh, submit a number of pieces of identification for social media accounts. The government will have access to that. And so if they think you're uh, being mean to people. They can crack down on you and so forth. So it's, it's a mess. But uh, I think we uh, solved the problem here, Jim. You just got to tell the government you went walkabout without your phone, right? Oh, there you go. Well, that's a good reference. There we are. Anyway, uh, I, we always say this. It, it hasn't really panned out for August. Maybe September will be different. Let's hope next week will be better. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, quick reminder, we will not be having a podcast on Monday for Labor Day. So the next Three Martini Lunch will be on Tuesday. Please make a note of that. But also, in the meantime, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast and tell your friends about us as well. We're very grateful for those five-star ratings and your kind reviews. So please, please keep those coming. Uh, remember to get the podcast on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Labor Day weekend, and please join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. There's so much going on in the news, but don't worry because we're here to talk about it all. Kids are finally going back to in-person schooling. Hurricane Ida leaves widespread damage in Louisiana right after the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, and people are still struggling to get out of Afghanistan with our government nowhere in sight. Hey, it's the Chicks from the Chicks on the Right podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast to hear us pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture, nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.